0: He is risen. Now, some of you said that to me in different languages. the Ressusute, right, Jackie? Pretty close? Okay. Jesu um, Ressusute today. James, you said it in some other language. I'm curious, just while the worship team is uh, sitting down, let's try something this morning. I'm going to say he is risen. I'll do it in English. But if you know how to say he is risen indeed, In a different language, the language you grew up speaking, you say it back to me, okay? Just for fun. I mean, God understands it all, right? He is, God is multilingual, all right? He is risen. Okay, I heard a lot of different things in there. The resurrection has cosmic implications for us, cosmic. We don't fully appreciate it. So I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. But first, I want to tell you, I want to, I'm going to ask you to indulge me. You indulge me every week, whether you have a choice or not. But I want want to tell you a, a personal story that really ties into the resurrection for me. Ten years ago this weekend, one of my best friends in the world died. I don't have any biological brothers. I have lots of spiritual brothers. But this man, his name was Gord Jackson, he was like a a brother to me, and he died. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever experienced. Gord was a doctor. We met when we were uh, 14. We started following Jesus about the same time, and uh, we joked about forming a little private club called Sons of Ivan for some strange, quirky reason. Both our fathers were named Ivan. And um, everybody's got their family stuff that you kind of grow through and work through. And, uh, but we became good friends. I'm always grateful that he introduced the music of Bruce Coburn to me, which I think is the greatest Canadian musician ever, but we can argue about that out in the parking lot. I'm all forever grateful. And we went through high school together trying to figure out life, um, Then into university, Uh, we were often connecting and, and again, still trying to figure out life and then figuring out romance and all kinds of, not with each other, this is a bromance. (laughs) And and I was, uh, Luanne and I went to his uh, first wedding and uh, then a few years later, we almost went to Ethiopia with him when he and his uh, first wife, Carolyn, went to Ethiopia. We came this close to signing on and, and doing that. Uh, But it wasn't God's leading for us. And then we reconnected again. I was minding my own business being a youth pastor in Burlington. And out of the blue, God prompted my buddy, Gord, to say, hey, we're starting a church. How do you start a church? And have you ever thought of of doing something like that? It was one of those crazy conversations that later God confirmed. Uh, We ended up moving to a small town we'd never been to. We had to look in the map to find out where it was. And God led us to help start a church there. Soon after we got there, we got news that Gord's first marriage was ending. And that was really hard. And we walked through the, the mess of that. I saw him become the best dad in the world. And God really worked with him through that uh, pain. And uh, God was kind to Gord. And he met a lady Uh, who had children as well, and they put together a blended family, yours, mine, and ours. God blessed them with a little boy, Kieran. So all of a sudden, my friend all of a sudden had six children, and he drove around in this big silver extended van they called. He he didn't have a roadster for his midlife crisis. He had a loadster, This big extended van, and this clan would jump in, and uh, Life was chaotic, but it was good. And I had the honor of officiating at his second wedding, and it was amazing. It was a, the closest I've done to a fairy tale wedding, I think. Not because of all the color of the napkins or anything, but just the love that was evident and, and God's redeeming grace. It was a really good story. Well, we moved to Winnipeg, and uh, we had kind of a long-distance friendship. And then I got word that all of a sudden he got sick. Gord was always... He was healthy, but he always looked like a breath of wind, uh, wind could knock him over. He worked so hard. And he collapsed one day in his job in the ER, and he thought, bah, maybe I've got the flu or pneumonia or something. And um, they did a scan on him, and he lit up like a Christmas tree. just full of cancer. And uh, the irony is, a lung cancer. The guy smoked one cigar in his life. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But um, things weren't looking good. Well, I got angry and started asking God. And I fasted for two weeks saying, God, please don't let Gord die. And I went to see him while I was on a business trip in March in Ontario. And we spent time just hanging out and praying through the Psalms. We, he taught me how to pray through the Psalms. We just kind of sit with God, pray through the Psalms, and just grab a hold of God even when you feel like he's not there. So we did that for a while. And I said to him, all right, it's March. I got to come back to Ontario in May, and I am going to see you. So you be here, and I'll be back, and I will see you. Well, that didn't work. All my prayers didn't work, so to speak. And he died uh, about a month later. And a a kind friend gave us some air miles, and we flew to the funeral. And I was so sad. The, in the small town of 6,000 people, the, the biggest venue for the, a funeral was the, the Anglican Church. There were almost a 1,000 people packed in there, all kinds of medical personnel, people who knew him. He had such a far-reaching effect on the community. And here's what clicked. What I, two things I remember from that funeral one of them was saying the Apostles' Creed. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's not, the Apostles' Creed sums up the basics of the Christian faith. It doesn't belong to any one particular denomination, okay? It's not a Catholic thing. Protestants get to believe in it too. It's a very helpful summary of what Christians believe. And as we're reciting the Apostles' Creed, it gets to the end where it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And by the time we get to the resurrection of the body, I am bawling my eyes out and I'm practically yelling, I believe in the resurrection of the body! Because I I did. I did before the funeral, but I sure did then. And I was asked to be a, a pallbearer. I had helped carry up my friend's body out of the church that day and uh just before the casket went into the hearse his little 4-year-old boy slipped in a final memento a goodbye to daddy in the casket a little love letter and they closed the casket and we rolled it into the hearse and we just stood and watched as the vehicle drove down the street and turned the corner And that was it. But it's not it. It's not the end of the story. Why? Because Jesus Christ came back from the dead. And I know that I will see Gord again. Not because of anything Gord did. He would be the first to admit. He used to joke that, There's only one letter difference between Gord and God, you know, or Gord and Lord, you know. But he would be the first to admit, that's kind of a private family joke we tease him about, and I I hope his family's going to listen to the story about him. But it, it wasn't because of anything that Gord did that God would raise him from the dead. It's because Gord placed all of his confidence in the fact that Jesus died died for his sins on this cross. It was really ugly on Friday. Now it's all draped and pretty. He died and, and came back from life again, just like Jesus bursting out of the tomb in that picture, exploding with color. So there's hope. That's why I have hope. It's not wishing. It's not optimism. We'll talk in a couple of minutes about the difference between optimism and hope. But I know that I will see Gord again. There were some folks in the New Testament days that were struggling with this whole resurrection uh, concept of the resurrection. And here's a few verses from 1 Corinthians 15 that we're going to read, that we're going to study this morning briefly. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. This Church in Greece that Paul is writing to in Corinth, some people the rumors going around it's like resurrection, <laughs> fairy tales, come on, you're dreaming. People don't come from back from the dead. When they're dead, they're dead. When you die, that's it. Nothing else. All these rumors going around. So Paul is trying to get to the bottom of this and saying, No, let's clear this up once and for all. And he goes on and looks at the implications of the resurrection. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. So here's the implications. No resurrection means Jesus isn't raised from the dead. Our preaching is useless. You might say that about me most Sundays anyway. Our faith is a waste of time. We've been lying about God. Those are the implications, right? Paul continues, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, i.e. died, in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Here's what Paul is saying. No resurrection means Jesus is still dead. Our faith is a waste of time. Our sins are not forgiven. Any deceased Christians, any Christians who have died before us are lost. We'll never see them again. And basically, if the resurrection didn't happen, Christians are the most pathetic people in the world because they've been sucked into a huge cosmic con game. They have been rooked. They have been totally Deceived. Now some of you are thinking. I could have been at a really good Easter brunch right now. Why am I coming and sitting here? Thinking about ooh, What do you mean there's no resurrection? But. Most important word in the New Testament I think. But. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What that means. He's. He's kind of like the the one who goes ahead, the one who makes a way for the rest of it. Because if Jesus can do it, so can we. If God raised Jesus from the dead, he can raise us from the dead as well. For since death came through a man, Adam's rebellion against God, right? The resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, we inherit this sin nature that breaks our relationship with God. So in Christ, all will be made alive. The bodily resurrection of Jesus means that we will be raised with new bodies. For some of us, that should come as a tremendous encouragement. But we will be raised, we'll be made new in new bodies. Not spirit. That, That picture there is not of a ghost In getting ready for the sermon, I had a chance. I never stop and look at this stained glass. I really should spend more time admiring the art we have at Elam Chapel. Do you notice something about the picture of Jesus? What do you see in his hands and his feet? What do you see? Scars, holes, okay? Ghosts and spirits don't have scars, all right? It was a body. He was raised with a physical body. I didn't tell the kids, but the skeptics window there at the back... Doubting Thomas. T is for Thomas right there in the back. He's having a look at Jesus and saying, my Lord and my God. It's a scene from the New Testament where, you know, Thomas, the ultimate realist says, well, you know, I'm not going to believe any of this resurrection stuff until I put my hands in the holes and then maybe I'll believe it. Don't put your faith in any of these rumors flying around. I mean, seeing is believing, right? Well, Jesus shows up Thomas looks pretty foolish at that point. But he's, then he says, My Lord, my God, oh, man. And uh, Jesus says, Well, good on you, Thomas. You saw and you believed. Blessed are those who believe even without having to see physical evidence. But let's think about what kind of evidence is there for the resurrection? I can't prove it scientifically. Nobody can. And some of you are thinking, Well, well, if science doesn't prove it, then I'm not interested in it. There are limitations to science. Science is important and valuable, but there are limitations to science. You can't put everything in a test tube and repeat it as an experiment. You just can't. It doesn't work. You, you can't repeat the events of the Napoleonic Wars and say, well, let's go back to the time of Napoleon and prove that Napoleon existed. It, you can't do that scientifically. You cannot do that. Science has its limitations. Now you can use history and historical records and go back and demonstrate, yeah, I think Napoleon was a real person. Not one of those people in, you know who pretend they're Napoleon, but the real Napoleon I'm talking about. You can do that. So historically... What have we got to say about the resurrection? I'll be brief, but I want to give you, I think, the evidence that has really uh, convinced me. By the way, the resurrection means that Jesus is alive today. Our faith is true. Our sins are forgiven. In Christ, eternal life is assured, guaranteed, through Jesus. Therefore, Christians can be the most hopeful people in the world. That doesn't mean we have life without trouble, but that means we have hope. I miss my friend Gord. I miss him. It's been 10 years without him. When he died, I felt like part of me got ripped out. He left a blended family of six children and a wife and a community who desperately needed him. But he died. But it's not the end. And in spite of losing people that we love, Christians can be the most hopeful people in the world. Why do we believe the resurrection is true? Why is it logical to believe in the resurrection? Well, if you have a death, you'd think there'd be a body, right? Soon after Jesus dies, rumors start floating around Jerusalem. Jesus is back from the dead. It's crazy. You won't believe it. All these stuff. Now, where's the body? Remember, it was guarded. See those soldiers over there? It was placed under a Roman guard. Now, if the authorities had the body, all they'd have to do is squelch these rumors and say, Whoop, look, ha-ha, there's the body. You're really stupid. Now you go to jail, and that's over, right? That would end that. Or the, if the religious leaders had the body, they would do the same thing, saying, "Da da look, the body, end of rumor, end of religious movement. Even in the book of Acts, when the, the early church was getting started and all these rumors of Jesus' resurrection was going around, one of the high priests said, you know what? If this thing is of God, we can't stop it. We can't stop it. So we'll just wait and see. Wise words. The, this gentleman, Gamaliel, didn't know how prophetic he was being. Well, the other option would be, aha, I bet the disciples hid the body. They hid it somewhere. Let's bury it. Okay, we'll bury Jesus in Peter's backyard and pretend that he came back from the dead and we'll start a religious movement and we'll all become wealthy and powerful. All right? The ultimate scam. Would that work? No. Charles Colson. I don't know if you recognize that name, but he was involved in the Watergate scandal under President Richard Nixon in 1973. He knows all about scams. He knows all about conspiracies. And here's what he said about the resurrection at Easter. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. That's an insider's view of a conspiracy, and the conspiracy theory does not hold up. However improbable it may seem, history shows that Jesus Christ came back from the dead on Easter. There's no body because he's alive. So the implications of that for us are tremendous. We have hope versus optimism. Now, I'm typically a pretty optimistic person. I, I know there are some people that, you know, you come out on a sunny day and they complain about it being too hot. or You know, there are some people that just, they're permanently glass half full or half empty rather. They're, 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 they're not even a quarter full. They're just pessimistic. I tend to be generally more optimistic. But there is a difference between hope and optimism. The day my friend Gord was buried, I didn't have a lot of optimism. I wasn't feeling happy. I was sad, heartbroken, angry, disappointed, utterly spent. I was trying to hold it together for the sake of his family and other people there, but I was just broken up inside. I was devastated. But I still had hope. Why? because I believed in the resurrection of the dead. Optimism hopes for the best without any guarantee of its arriving and is often no more than whistling in the dark. <whistles> Cross my fingers. I hope things work out. Christian hope, by contrast, is faith looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promises of God. As when in the Anglican burial service enters, enters the corpse Insure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we know the resurrection is going to happen for believers through Jesus. Optimism is a wish without warrant, without any reason. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. You're kind of crossing your fingers. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. This is not wishing. This is hope. This is solid. It's building our faith on something substantial. And what does Paul leave us with? What do I want to leave you with today on Easter Sunday? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You may not have much hope in your life. Maybe there are broken relationships. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you have a broken relationship with yourself, a broken relationship with others, a broken relationship with God. We all live in a broken relationship with our creation The world is a mess. So in one sense, there's not a whole lot of room for optimism, but there is room for hope. Because when Jesus died, he rose again on what day of the week? First day, Sunday, right? That's why Christians get into the habit of meeting on Sundays, to remember the resurrection. God created the world on uh, first day of the week, right? Interesting parallel. New creation starts when Jesus comes back from the dead on Easter Sunday. It's a new order of things. It's a new day, friends, because of the resurrection. Through Jesus, he's the first fruits of everything that's going to come back from the dead. That means not just people, but his creation is going to be redeemed and made whole and restored the way it's supposed to be. Now, we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen all the implications. But we're going to get there just as sure as Jesus came out of the grave 2,000 years ago. And he started this movement. He started this family, this new kingdom that he's inaugurating. People have a new way of relating to each other. If you're part of God's kingdom, you start looking at other human beings in a different way, the way God sees them. You don't ride the bus and look at this, that insensitive jerk, what a loser. I can't believe that. You don't wave with only one finger as you're driving at people or get frustrated with people at work or with you and your family. All of a sudden you have a different framework, a different perspective for looking at people. You start looking at history in a different way. History becomes his story. What God has been doing in human history, working things, pulling things together so his kingdom will reign, will take over the world, and everything will be made right the way it should have been in the first place. The resurrection is all about restoration of people into God's image the way it should have been in the first place. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope when we feel stuck in self-destructive patterns or cycles that we're just self-defeating and they don't get us anywhere. Jesus breaks in and offers us hope. There's hope. There are some people sitting here today thinking, yeah, well, Rick, that's nice, but you don't know my situation. No, I don't. But you don't know mine either. So we're all in the same boat. We're all dealing with stuff. That's the polite Sunday morning word for it. We all have our stuff to deal with. But the resurrection means that Jesus can restore us and the God of hope can fill us with peace and joy as we trust in him. That's kind of the condition. You want to be filled with joy and peace? All right, we need to take a risk and learn how to start trusting God with our stuff so that if we learn to trust God with our stuff, then we will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the resurrection means that that Jesus is with us all the time. The power of the Spirit is with us. Oh, the last thing I want to leave you with is some bunch of religious platitudes about new life and working harder and somehow it will all work out. Sorry, that's not going to bring my buddy Gord back from the dead. That's not going to do it as I watch the hearse drive down the street. It's just not going to do it. It's not going to do it as I watch his little boy put a goodbye love note in his dad's casket. It's just not going to do it. But what does it is the God of hope filling me with all joy and peace as I trust in him. And that heartbroken, lousy moment in my life, somehow there's hope in the resurrection. And now I can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you get it? That's my prayer for all of us. Let's pray. Jesus, you are Lord over heaven and earth. You made everything. You came to earth to show us the way to the Father. You did what you were supposed to do, and then you said, that's it. It's done. It's complete, paid in full. And then God the Father raised you from the dead, and you sent us your Spirit. And you've given us this commission to say, it's a new day, it's a new kingdom. Uh, and you've initiated this new thing going on. And will you show us how to walk in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering? Will you do that for us today? Father, I pray that you would give hope. We are planting seeds of hope in us in Jesus' name. Not optimism, which is, meh, Okay. We want hope planted, seeds of hope planted in our lives that you can change us and transform us through the power of the resurrection and that your kingdom is coming and will come. We pray these things confidently in Jesus' name, amen.